Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you guys next time. All right, well, we are continuing in our series called In Christ, and um, I think this is part seven. Is that right? Uh, You know, we get past four, and I just lose track. Part seven of our series, In Christ. This has been a series we've been doing all summer long. Um, This series is more of a verse-by-verse series through the book of Ephesians. And uh, so let me me test you a little bit on Ephesians, since this is part seven. Hopefully you know a couple things. Let me ask you the first question. Who wrote it? Paul. The Apostle Paul is the writer of Ephesians. And what is Ephesians? Yeah, I hear two things. I hear epistle and I hear letter. If you said epistle, calm down, okay? (laughs) Calm down. Uh, Epistle is a fancy word for letter, and Paul wrote this letter from where? From prison. He's in a Roman prison for the very gospel that he's writing of, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, which is a church he helped start. You can read about it in the latter part of the book of Acts. And uh, so he writes them this letter, and really there's two main themes in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are really about having right belief. And we talked a lot about this, about, about being in Christ, and um, uh, we talked about the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, 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 uh, and so the first three chapters are really about proper belief. The latter three chapters of the book of Ephesus is about proper behavior. In other words, because of the implications of the risen Lord and your faith in him, the implications are that you, your life will look different. Your life will look different. And, uh, and so last week we talked, we began that, that shift to that second theme last week, and uh, we talked about mandatory maturity. And uh, every once in a while there's a message that I'm really excited to give, and that was last week. And so if you didn't get an opportunity to hear last week's message, you can catch up with that and all of the other ones on our website, newlifeforkokomo.org, and you can do that. Now, today is going to be a little bit different because uh, as I was preparing to continue through the book of Ephesians, um, I I realized that there's just a lot. (laughs) There's a lot there, and so we're going to be picking up in the latter part of chapter 4, and we're going to be going through the first part of chapter 5. And, and as I begin to study and begin to look at it, I just realized that I cannot say it any better than Paul said it. So we're just going to read it. We're just going to, we're going to read it together, and, uh, and, then, and I'll give my thoughts, but we're really going to let Paul's letter do a lot of the preaching and teaching today, and I'm just going to come alongside of what he wrote and these inspired words. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. If you do not, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab an orange Bible in the seat back in front of you. Of course, all the slides, all the scripture will be on the screens this morning. And I'll tell you what, if you do not own a Bible, I want you to take that orange Bible in the seat back pocket in front of you, seat back in seat in front of you, and I want you to take that, write your name in it, it is yours, a gift to you from New Life Church because we believe in the word of God and um, so that can be yours if you don't have a Bible. So if you're in the orange Bible, you're going to be turning to page number 18. If you're looking at the screen, it'll be on the screen, but if you're in your Bible, I don't know what page, but just Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Are we ready? 
So here we go. Paul starts off like this. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. In other words, uh, Paul's saying, all right, I've told you all of this. Paul is letting you know, Pastor Devin has spoke for six weeks on all of this. And so I tell you now and insist on it that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their, say it with me, thinking. So here's that shift from, okay, we talked a lot about proper belief and now we're moving into proper behavior. And if you remember the church at Ephesus, one of the issues that Paul had to write, the, the reasons, one of the reasons he wrote this letter is because the work at Ephesus was so strong that now we're seeing really two different people groups coming together and being unified in this message of Jesus. Because before it was, you were either Jew or you were Gentile. You were either considered in or you were out. But the message of Jesus is unifying all people groups. And if you remember what we said was that it took 10 years for the gospel to get to the Gentiles. 10 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection until they realized, oh, it's for the Gentiles too. And so they had to learn how to be united together and and welcome each other because for all along they were like, you're uncircumcised, we're circumcised, dude. Like, you're out, we're in. And so Paul had to write a lot to, to the church about about these things, and so, so now you have these, these people that were Gentiles, especially in Ephesus, they, they were idol worshipers, uh, they, they, they had a lot of other gods that they worshipped in life, and now they're coming into this gospel of Jesus, and Paul is saying, I tell you, I insist on this in the Lord, you cannot live any longer the way you used to live, and also to the Jew, you call yourself a Jew, but you're living like hell. This is still a message for the church today. That God would say, you call yourself a follower of me, but you live in like hell. But I insist, I insist. He says, I tell you this, I insist on this in the Lord. You must no longer live like you used to. You must no longer live like the ways of the world in the futility of of their thinking. Futility of their thinking, this word, it means useless thinking. It means truthless thinking. It means perverse thinking. We have a whole lot of futility of thinking, not just in our world. I mean, it's been, it's been going on for, since the beginning of time. But now feudal thinking is more and more common and even we are now accepting it. This is useless, truthless thinking. That, the, that pe- the thoughts are driving people's beliefs and behavior and they're, they're useless. They're void of truth. Now it's, it's common to say, well, what your truth may not be what? My truth. But there is the truth. And futile thinking is a thinking that is absent of truth, which makes it ultimately useless. And Paul's saying, listen, as for you, I'm insisting on you, no longer live useless. Don't live with useless thinking, truthless thinking, but there has to be a shift that takes place when you choose to follow Jesus. Thinking changes when you realize the truth. He goes on in verse 18, he says, 
they darkened their understanding and, separ- and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them due to the hardening of their thoughts. And this is a product of futile thinking, useless, truthless, perverse thinking, is it causes a darkening of yourself, which is ultimately a separation from God. And it says, watch this, it says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So again, futile thinking, useless, truthless, perverse. When people's minds and lives are not open to God and his truth, they ultimately they start getting caught up in their own ways, becoming increasingly hardened and unresponsive to God. The time can come when then you lose all sensitivity to God and become lost in the ways and defiance against God. I want you to see, it says, having lost all sensitivity. You see, this is the effects of thinking, of futile thinking. Useless, truthless, perverse thinking. Is that it is a constant violation of the conscience that God gave you. You see, we're all born with this God-given conscience that helps guide our thinking. The problem is, is when you violate your conscience long enough, the first time when you're a child or however old and you, you do something you know isn't right, maybe you use a word that your parents taught you, don't use that word, a swear word of some sort, you say that word and all of a sudden you feel, ooh, I felt, I felt wrong. But the more you use it, the less you feel guilt and shame because of it, and then you normalize it. The first time that you were immoral in some way, you might have felt really bad. And then the more that you participated in that immorality, the less you felt the guilt and shame, and then you normalized it. This is having lost all sensitivity. In other words, having violated the conscience and guiding of our thinking that God gave us, eventually, you just don't feel it anymore. You lose all sensitivity to morality. This, there was this, uh, I heard of this pastor one time that he went and visited in Israel and he was asking him for a specific meaning of a word related to this idea of, a, of your conscience and, and losing all sensitivity. And, uh, and he had this taxi cab driver that was fluent in Hebrew, and he, he said, hey, what's the best way to describe uh, th- this, this losing of your sensitivity? Of, and, and, and the taxi cab driver, he just reached over to his dashboard. He said, it means this. He just, it's a constant rubbing, because if you, if you rub long enough, you eventually go numb. So if you, if you rub and rub and rub and rub, eventually you lose sensitivity and you go numb. Well, this is the idea of sin, that the more we violate God's law, the, the more 
uh, sensitivity we lose to that conscience and we begin to normalize sinful behavior. And ultimately, which leads us to bondage and separation from God. This is the effects of futility of thinking. Useless, truthless, perverse. The more you violate your conscience, the more you oppose morals, the less guilt you sense and will normalize immorality and your conscience goes numb. Let's, let's continue what Paul says. We're just going to let Paul really do the teaching today. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So, what futility of thinking is useless, truthless, perverse. He says, uh, however, not so with you. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in accordance with the truth. The truth that is in Christ. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I don't know if you caught my title today, but my title is this, New Life, New Living. New life, new living. When you find new life in Christ, it means living a new way. Not, we, we can't come into Christ and still hold on to the old man. Paul's telling us, put off the old man. Put on the new man. Because the old is corrupt by deceitful desires. But he says, be made new in the attitudes of your what? Of your minds. So first he starts off with saying, no, you stop with the futile thinking. You gotta stop thinking like the world thinks. You gotta stop that. Then he says, be made new in the attitude now of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God. If you ever aren't sure about what the new man looks like, it looks like God because we're created in his own image and likeness and we were created to be like him, which is true in righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is to live upright. And holiness is to be separated from the world to be used by God. So let me ask you a question. Have you put off your old self? Let me, well, let me, let me ask you this way. Has the old self been trying to live again. He says, be made new in the attitude of your minds, created to be like God, righteous and holy. So then he goes on, verse 25. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. So he starts talking about Taking, putting off the old self. Now he's going to get more specific about what the old self is. The first thing he starts with is our mouth. He says, put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor. 
for we are all members of one body. If you remember last week, we finished last week, when Paul said, speak the truth in love, which is a lot different than loving to speak the truth. Then he says, in your anger, do not sin. So, right away, you can be angry and not sin. Jesus' anger burned within him when he saw them selling in the temple. But Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, don't let that anger marinate because the longer it sits, the deeper it gets. And anger becomes resentment. Resentment builds unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a dangerous poison that will affect the way you see them and the whole world. You don't want to get there. He says, don't, don't let the sun go down on you while you are still angry. And then I, verse 27, this is so key. He says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. There's a couple pictures I see in my mind when I read this. Is the first is like I imagine uh, if you're being chased by someone, and I, I think of like in the game of football when someone breaks away, and they're being chased by a defender, and in that last-ditch effort, they, they jump and reach to grab a foot to try to trip them up. That's, that's one picture I get. The second picture I get is uh, when I was a young boy and I was chasing my brother. <laughs> and, and my brother would maybe do something silly, something stupid, honestly, and maybe he'd throw something at me, smack me, and I'd, you know, you do that, you know, like when you're seven, you do that. You know, you snap. And then they go, and as soon as they start running, you, t- you, t- you run after them. And I remember I'd chasing my brother up the stairs, and he's going, Mom! I'm going, I'm going to get you, right? And, uh, and then he, he makes, he, he's making a break for his bedroom door. And I know that he's going to try to close that door on my face. But I also know, if I can get there quick enough and get a foot in the door so he can't close it, if I get a foot, then I get an arm, and then I get a shoulder, and now I have leverage on him. I'm coming in, and I'm going to beat the tar out of you. Which I, I, I was a perfect child, so I mean. And that's the image I get when, when we give the devil a foothold. It's as though we're trying to close the door on evil, and he gets a foot in. And he, he says, now I have leverage. And the leverage he has, the foothold he has, read it again. He says, put off falsehood, speaking truth to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. It's this sin gives the devil a foothold. That it now, it can grow in our lives. Hebrews says, sin that so easily entangles. 
So then he goes on and says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something, something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. He starts off all of this in verse 25. He says, therefore, you must put off falsehood. In other words, therefore, since you have heard about Christ, remember in our, in our teaching of the Bible, whenever we see a therefore, we look to see what it's there for. So in other words, because he's talking about because you've put your faith in Christ, watch what you say, watch your anger, watch you don't give the devil leverage against you. So since you've heard about Christ, watch what you say. Watch your anger. Watch you don't give the devil leverage against you. So much growth, I think, can take place personally if we start with those two things. You start with your mouth and what you say, and how you say it, like we talked about last week, tr- like real good spiritual maturity sometimes is just knowing you don't need to have something to say. And knowing when to say the right thing at the right time in the right way, always rooted in love. It takes great spiritual maturity to learn how to control your tongue, how to avoid gossip, how to avoid provoking others, being provoked, and the second, and watching your anger. If you can control your mouth and your anger, I'm telling you, like, you will have a lot less stress in your life. You can really be free from a lot of things if you can do those two things. Because I, I really think that these two things, anger and our words, can give the devil a foothold. So Paul continues in this way. Verse 29, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. A working definition of gossip I give is is if you say anything that is not helping or when you say something to somebody that doesn't benefit them, when you spew your suspicions about somebody else to someone, now you just made them suspicious. And now this worrisome, unwholesome talk now begins to spread. When someone has the wrong perception of someone, they share that, Now, that listener now shares in that perception you just gave them. Perception isn't always the true reality, but then now all of a sudden we begin to maybe demonize somebody for something, all because someone didn't have anything beneficial to add to the conversation, and it didn't benefit the listener, and it wasn't building up. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Here we go. We're still talking about new life, new living. And Paul says in verse 31, get rid of all. Help me, church, and say all. All. Get rid of all bitterness. All rage. All anger. Get rid of all brawling. Get rid of all the slander along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. But he doesn't stop there. He says, just as Christ, God forgave you. So let me ask, how did God forgive you? God forgave you freely. God forgave you despite you. And we are to forgive others despite their flaws. So many times I've heard people say, oh, I'm, Pastor, listen, I'm willing to forgive them if they change their attitude. Oh, I'm willing to forgive them if they fix their stuff. I mean, I'm, trust me, I'm willing to forgive if, no, no, no. Jesus wasn't like, I, I guess I'll forgive Devin if he, I guess I'll forgive, oh, if you do this, I'll forgive you. Listen, uh, Jesus' work on the cross was complete. It's finished. We don't have to do anything except repentantly and humbly come before him. And he washes our sins away freely. Forgiveness, scripturally, is always free. But we make our forgiveness to each other conditional. And Paul says, no, no, no. Forgive as Christ forgave you. The kindness and compassion that you're supposed to have towards each other is supposed to be the same kindness and compassion that God had for you. And what is that compassion of God? That he sent his son to die for, 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 for bad people. Which was me and which was you. You see, this is a shift in thinking for, for his, Paul's listeners. Getting rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, slander, replacing it with the kind of kindness and compassion and love and forgiveness that God displays. So you are supposed to now be a reflection of the same love, kindness, compassion, forgiveness that God showed you. That he showed you. And now... Uh, Unless you have experienced that kind of forgiveness from the Lord, it is hard to understand how to also give it. And so I don't expect uh, you know, people that are not followers of Jesus, people that don't love God, I don't really expect them to understand this or to do it well. But if you are a follower of Jesus, there's an expectation that freely you receive, now freely you give. But I think there's a reason why Paul says, first, get rid of all bitterness, anger, brawling, slander, every kind of malice. Get rid of it. Because if there's a root of bitterness, you won't forgive like God forgave. If there's a root of resentment in you, you're going to hold a grudge. You're going to stay offended. But he says, no, get rid of it all and forgive like God forgave you. Good word, Pastor. 
Now we're going to shift into chapter 5, verse 20, and Paul says, listen, he says, forgive as Jesus, as Christ God forgave you. Then he says this, follow God's example. This is really, really good advice for new living. When you have new life in Christ and you know you're supposed to live a new way, and you say, I don't know the way. I don't know what to do. What should my new life look like? Always remember, Ephesians 5, verse 1, follow God's example. All throughout, study the scripture. What is God's example? That's how we are to live. And Jesus exemplified that example for us. So, uh, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. And that is the heart of God's example. That we walk in the way of love. And Jesus' walk in the way of love led him up a hill to a cross where his body was broken and his blood was shed. Walking in the way of love sometimes causes bruising, causes pain and abuse, but we walk in the way of love. He goes on, he says, but among you, there must not even be a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality. There must not be a hint of any kind of impurity. There must not be a hint of any kind of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Again, Paul is spelling out for us what new living looks like. He says, listen, if you remember, he said, you cannot, you can no longer think and act like the ways of the world. You, you got, you, you're not a Gentile anymore. And he's given us the specifics now that there cannot be a hint of immorality, impurity, greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather we should have thanksgiving. He says, uh, for of this you can be sure. He says, so you can be sure of this. No immoral, impure, or greeting person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is why I said, I don't, I'm just going to let Paul do the preaching. I'm not saying this. The Bible is saying this. Th these inspired words that Paul wrote, Paul's saying this today. So don't take it up with me. Paul is writing to the church and he is saying this, that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. A few things we should really highlight here is, not a hint. Not a hint. You need to remember that. 
And then again, he, he, he doubles down on our, on our words and our mouth. No obscenity, no false talk, no coarse joking. It's out of place, but be thankful. And then he says, if you remember this, no immoral, no impure, nor greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. He calls these people idolaters. An idolater, someone, it's like, and these, these people in Ephesus knew what idolatry was. Idolatry was so rampant that it was very uh, lucrative business to be a silverman, silversmith because you were making idols, which is why they got mad at Paul because people were getting saved and they weren't buying their idols anymore. An idol for us is still an issue because an idol is when our love for anything else, anything else, exceeds our love for God. If our love for anything else exceeds our love for God, then that thing is an idol. And if you're nobody without it, I promise you, you're not going to be somebody with it. That God must be first. He says, no person has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Then he said, but the wrath of God. Uh, let me find exactly where it says it. Um, Verse 6, let no, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. When we read that, we think, oh man, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And uh, we think, oh man, wrath of God, is he going to cause my car to break down? Is he going to flood my house? Is my hot water heater going to go out because God's going to pour out his wrath on me? Is he going to flood the earth? Is he going to cause an earthquake? Open up the earth and swallow me up? I mean, like, is he going to, maybe I'm getting struck by lightning tonight. I don't know. Fireworks, something, something's going to get me. Wrath of God. And, uh, you know, if Romans chapter 1 really defines for us what the wrath of God looks like on this side of the covenant. The wrath of God is being poured out on, on humanity that God is allowing us to suffer the consequences of our choices. That's the wrath of God. Because there's nothing else God has to do to free us, to forgive us, to set us free. Jesus took care of all of that. But listen, if you are going to choose to live a lifestyle of sin, then God's going to allow you to suffer the consequences of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. At any time, anybody can be rescued. Anybody can be, uh, be forgiven. But if you choose impurities, if you choose to live it immor- immorally, then God will allow you to suffer those consequences. If, you're dis- if your choices lead you to an addiction, your body will suffer. Your relationships will suffer. And the wrath of God is poured out on us when we choose sin because sin has consequences. So this is now the wrath of God, but the forgiveness of God. When we repent and come humbly to him, he forgives. He makes us new. Paul continues on in verse 8. He says, For you once, for, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So, Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, 
and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And how do you expose fruitless deeds of darkness? With the light. With the light. So you were once darkness, but now you are light. So if you are light, then act like it. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Live as children of the light. Paul wrote another letter in, in, in your Bible. It's the book right before Ephesians. It's called Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, this is what Paul wrote. He said, the acts of the flesh are obvious. This is Galatians 5.19. So Ephesians 5.8 says, you were once in darkness. Ephesians 5.19 says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he lists them. Here's some obvious ones. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So Paul's saying, obvious ones. And that mirrors a lot of what he was writing to the church at Ephesus as well. And then, he, and then he says, uh, I, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what Paul wrote in Galatians. And then Galatians 5.22, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires so that was Galatians 5 Ephesians 5 says for you were once in darkness but now you are light so live as children of the light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord having and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And as we wrap this up in Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul says, Be very careful then how you live. And I think these are the words to us today as followers of Jesus in 2022. The encouragement to all of us is still be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And I think a lot of times people with good intentions ask the question, well, can I do this or can I do that? Should I do this? Should I, is it wrong if I do this? Is it not wrong if I do this? Can I have wine at dinner? Can I have a beer at dinner? Like, and, and sometimes it's just about just be careful how you live and that some things aren't always right or wrong, but most things are always either wise or unwise. I can't take a scriptural stance and tell you that if you have a beer at dinner that you're wrong because I don't think you are. 
But I'll tell you, for my life, I won't have a sip. I've never had a sip of alcohol in my life, and I won't. And I don't do that, to, and I usually, I usually don't make that known. That's just my personal conviction, because I believe the conviction of John the Baptist. John the Baptist felt the call of God on his life so heavy, he said, no fermented drink will touch my lips. And I read that, and I said, I, f- I feel that call in my life. And so is it right or wrong? The answer is, eh. But for me, it's about wise or unwise. And for many of you, if you knew your pastor was going to go have six beers tonight with my family, it would make you probably feel very uncomfortable. Maybe six is a lot. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe if I had six, I, you'd, there'd be a funeral. I don't know. <laughs> but I just believe, for me, God's call in my life as a spiritual leader. God's call in my life as a spiritual leader to my family. It's unwise. And there's, as Paul says, there is no law against, it, against good. And so this is what I would say. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, or in other words, don't be unwise, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is not a word we use very often, but debauchery just basically means that you've drank so much that you essentially make poor decisions. Specifically, you give into sensual desires, and it's typically sexual mistakes that happen in debauchery. But he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's pretty good stuff, Paul. And uh, so as you stand with me this morning, we're going to sing one last song as we do, but there's some questions I want you to ponder as we sing. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would now do a work in your heart. We've heard the word of the Lord. We've let Paul speak his thing, do his thing. But let me ask you a couple questions before we sing. Have you taken off the old self? Have you taken off the old self? Or maybe, is the old self trying to live again? Scripture says we die daily to our flesh. And I would encourage you this morning to take on a new attitude, new thinking. To not think like a Gentile anymore, not to think like the ways of this world any longer. Take on a new attitude about righteousness and holiness. Because new life means new living. And and another question that I want you to ask in these last moments together is where in your life could the devil right now possibly have a foothold? And I pray that this morning where he may have a foothold, we slam the door.
where he might have leverage for entry. Does he have leverage for entry through your words? Your anger? Sexual immorality? Drunkenness? Does he have leverage because of hatred in your life? Selfishness in your life? Idolatry? Where could the devil possibly have a foothold that this morning we're going to kick into the curb and shut the door? So in response this morning, as we sing and as we pray, our response always needs to be one of repentance. Repentance, it really means to turn and do a 180. We're going to run the other direction. The second part of repentance is not just changing our direction, but changing our thinking. And that's how Paul started this whole thing off. Futility of thinking. Becoming rooted in the truth. So as we sing, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and that idols will be taken down in our hearts today. What's getting our affection and attention more than the Lord? Just close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to you. God, show us anything in our lives that would be an idol. Show us anywhere in our life where the devil might have leverage. In Jesus' name.